The responsibility for this crisis lies directly on the United States Congress. Just back from the border, Texas Senator Ted Cruz is talking immigration and Decision 2020 in our one-on-one interview. Plus, we're sitting down with Chris Bell, the Texas attorney looking to unseat Republican Senator John Cornyn, right now on Lone Star Politics. This is Lone Star Politics from NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News. Good Sunday morning. I'm Julie Fine from NBC5, along with Gromer Jeffers, political reporter with the Dallas Morning News. Good Sunday to you, Gromer. How are you? I'm good. I I, missed you this week. I was gone. You were here. And how was D.C.? D.C. was great. Wish you were there, but I had a good trip. And we'll begin this morning with Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who recently took a trip to the border. We traveled to Washington, D.C., as Gromer just said, to talk to him about that and 2020 after his race last year. You just came back from a trip to the border. You saw how migrants were there, how they were treated. Are you concerned? I'm deeply concerned. We have an absolute crisis at the border, and and congressional Democrats are blocking any meaningful solutions. Uh, You know, in the month of May, we apprehended over 144,000 people coming across the border illegally. It, It is swamping communities on the border. I'm hearing from elected officials, from mayors, from sheriffs. I'm hearing from police chiefs, many of them Democrats, but are, who are saying that, that, that they simply cannot handle this volume. 144,000 in the month of May, if it continued on that pace for a year, that would be nearly 2 million people coming over illegally. That exceeds the capacity of law enforcement, of health care, of, of, of basic public infrastructure. And, and the reason that we're having is, and a great many of those coming are children, are family units, is because Congress, congressional Democrats, have put loopholes into the law that, that encourage w- people to come because, the, because they mandate what's called catch and release, which is when people are apprehended, they're released, they're given a court date in the future, and they let go, and many of them never come back. People see these images, they're hard to watch. Yeah. While you say it's what the Democrats are doing, isn't everybody to some degree at fault that this is still a problem? No, because the Democrats are blocking any solution. I, I can tell you, I've been fighting for seven years to fix this problem. I'll give you an amazing statistic I learned in the Rio Grande Valley. Rio Grande Valley sector is the number one sector for illegal crossings in the country today. In 2014, just five years ago, the adult single males that were crossing into this country, roughly 2% of them had kids with them. Today, do you know what that number is? It's 50%. Roughly 50% of adult single males coming across have children with them. Now, why is that? It's Congress's fault. Because of the loopholes we have in place, If you're a drug trafficker, if you're a gang member, if you're an adult single man and you bring a child with you, that child is effectively a get-out-of-jail-free card. What that is incentivizing is more and more kids being abused. You know, the Rio Grande Valley sector did did a pilot program of rapid DNA testing for units that presented as family units that said they were families. Nearly 30% of those tested were found not to be families. That means the adults were with a child that was not related to them. That is sick, and it's Congress's fault. I mean, we're hearing more and more reports of children being rented, being sold, because Congress has said, grab a little boy, grab a little girl, and if you have a child with you, you get released. Anyone who cares about being compassionate, who cares about kids, should close these loopholes so that you don't have children in the custody of human traffickers and drug traffickers that are abusing far too many of these kids. 
In the meantime, though, what should be done for these kids? What should be done for these kids is what we are doing, which is caring for them. You can't release a young child just out onto the street. But what should be done fundamentally is we shouldn't have the loopholes in place that put them in the custody of human traffickers, that encourage them to come illegally. They didn't used to be coming illegally. What changed, what changed initially was President Obama's DACA, his amnesty targeted at those who came as kids. That's what caused unaccompanied children to spike. It's why President Obama built the cages to begin with, is, is we went from a few thousand children to 90,000 children. That, that, that was the direct consequences of President Obama's policy. And now, as a result of the congressional loopholes, and then there's, there's a, a court decision called Flores. And Flores has been interpreted to mean that any child has to be released within 20 days. That, in turn, has been used for adults to say, hey, if I grab me a kid, if I bring a kid with me, I have to be released too. Now, that is a stupid incentive. Why should we want to incentivize people making an incredibly dangerous, an incredibly difficult, illegal journey in the custody of of human traffickers? Why should we want to put little boys and little girls in, in those conditions? We shouldn't, and we need to end it. That's the compassionate thing to do. Let's look at 2020 real quickly here in Texas. Uh, Fellow Republican Will Hurd recently said that Texas is purple. Do you agree with him? Look, I think Texas is a real battleground. Uh, And and I think what we saw in 2018 in in my Senate race is is really foreshadowing for what we're going to see in Texas and across the country nationally in 2020. Um, In 2018, Beto O'Rourke, my opponent, raised over $80 million. He outspent us three to one. And the Democrats in Texas increased Democratic turnout more than 100%. They took it from 1.8 million, which was turnout in 2014, the last off-cycle election. They took it from 1.8 million all the way up to 4 million. That's more than doubling Democratic turnout. Now, thankfully, we were able to turn out 4.2 million Republicans. That 0.2 was the entire margin of victory. And a big part of the reason I think we turned out that many Republicans is that I spent, in particular, the last six weeks of that campaign barnstorming this state uh, in a bus tour. We did 50 rallies in six weeks, energizing and turning people out. Well, I think 2020, we're going to see that in Texas and nationally. I think we're going to see a massive, massive turnout on the left. The hard left is enraged by and hates Donald Trump. They're going to show up. And I think whether Texas stays red, I think whether the country... Uh, stays on the path of economic prosperity and, and, and that we're seeing right now is going to depend on whether everyone else shows up. I think it's a turnout battle. Is it a turnout battle, Gromer? It really is. It's a turnout battle because, uh, and he knows this better than anyone else, that in order to win in 2020, just like in order to win in 2018, conservatives had to turn out their base. The question is, can Democrats continue to sort of increase their base turnout. But here's the key. Where do the independent voters go? The reason Beto O'Rourke did so well in 2018, yeah, Democratic turnout, party turnout increased. But Beto also did better with independents in in certain areas, particularly North Texas, than Ted Cruz did. 46% for O'Rourke in Collin County, and he won Tarrant County. That's because he got a lot of independents. So Republicans have to figure out a way to get those voters back, you know, voting in their column. If not, then the trend will continue and it it will look kind of 
bad for him. So, and we'll see how it goes. But, but he understands the urgency. The question is, do other Republicans? I think John Cornyn, who has the marquee race this time, I think he understands as well. Well, Senator Cornyn, and you've heard him say this right. as well. He has said they've looked at the Cruz race, and whoever it will be, right. they will be ready. Exactly, and so we'll see. And it's fascinating because you know immigration. We'll see how that issue plays in 2020 nationally. Uh, uh, Democrats are hitting Republicans hard on that, Uh, those images at the border. We'll see what kind of impact they have on the election. In In your interview, Cruz is blaming Democrats. Of course, Democrats are pointing out that, you know, Trump is the president. Republicans, of course, control Congress before 2018. So we'll see how that plays out as well. All right. And as we said, it's already looking like Senator John Cornyn could have a big fight on his hands in 2020. Coming up, we'll talk to the latest Democrat, Houston attorney Chris Bell, who's looking to unseat the Republican. Uh, The gap is obviously closed between Republicans and Democrats. And I really think this is going to be 2020 will be the year when the pendulum swings. Democrats are looking to unseat Republican Senator John Cornyn in 2020. Former congressional candidate MJ Hager already announced her plans to run. Now, former Houston Representative Chris Bell and attorney says he is the candidate to choose. This week, we had a chance to ask him about why he deserves your vote. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Why did you decide to run for this? Because I can't stand what's going on in the country right now, and I can't stand the fact that our senator has become a water boy for the two worst politicians in America, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. And I just think there's so many issues where Texas could be leading the way, and we're not. And really, after the 2016 election, I thought it was everyone's duty, if you had been involved in politics or if you hadn't been involved in politics, to either stay involved or or get involved. And I didn't expect to be in this race, but I think there's a great opportunity. Uh, The gap is obviously closed between Republicans and Democrats, and I really think this is going to be, 2020 will be the year when the pendulum swings. So M.J. Hager is already in the race, the former... Air Force helicopter pilot who ran for Congress last year. We'll see what State Senator Royce West does. Your Houston Council member, uh, Amanda Carpenter. What makes you, uh, uh, Amanda Carpenter, Amanda Edwards, what makes you the best choice? I think experience. I really do think it will matter. I've been to Congress, I'll be it brief because of redistricting, but that one term, Uh, was a very valuable term in a lot of respects and by what we learned and by what we were able to accomplish and people can easily look and see um, what I stand for and also I think having run statewide before is a huge advantage because I already have a network around the state a network that's already reaching out I don't have anything against any of the other individuals who are talking about um, making this race I just happen to believe that Uh, with my experience and with my stance on various issues, that I'm going to be very well positioned to win the primary and the general. But since 2006, when you you ran for governor unsuccessfully, you've lost a couple of races, Houston mayor, I believe, and the state senate race. So uh, do you you have the the, the, uh, sort of the 
the the power, the the skill set to to pull this off. Sure, I had lost races before I got elected to Congress. I had lost races before I got elected to the Houston City Council. And if you look at just about any successful politician, Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama. Uh, they've lost races. It, it happens. And a statewide race for the United States Senate is a very different animal from a race for mayor of Houston or for the, the Texas State Senate. Every race takes on sort of its own uh, personality, and I think this one is shaping up very well for me. A primary can get very expensive. Does it hurt the Democrats' chances when they're very hopeful to win statewide in 2020? I don't think so. I've been involved in very contentious Democratic primaries back when I was running for Congress. And what ends up happening, sure, it's a battle and it's um, not pleasant because it's very much like a family fight. But then when all is said and done, people come back together and go forward toward the general election. It will cost some money, but it's different from a general election because it's much more targeted. Uh, and so, sure, it will cost some money, but I don't think it's going to cause, cause any great pain going forward. And I think everyone will unite behind um, whoever the nominee is. Are you going to be able to raise money? I think so. I, I'm feeling good about uh, the initial effort. Uh, we've you know, really just gotten on it since announcing last week, but the, the reaction has been... Uh, very positive, and so I, I feel good about it what going you, forward. What do you think you'll need? How much money to be? Well, I, I think I think the I think there are going to be different benchmarks that you have to hit, and I think fairly early on in the race, it'll you're going to have you'll have to raise somewhere between a half million and a and a million, and then going forward, uh, I think you're probably looking at another ten to thirty million dollar race. It's going to be expensive, and I think a lot of that's going to have to be done online. I think we learned a lot of lessons from. Beto O'Rourke, and he had a phenomenal online fundraising strategy. And I think if you're going to be successful as a statewide Democratic politician, uh, then you're going to have to have a really aggressive online fundraising operation, and we plan to set that up. What makes you believe that you could beat Senator John Cornyn? He's been reelected several times. He's been in leadership in the Republican Party. Well, what He's done well in Texas. Well, but what people also forget is that a real driving force in 2018 uh, was Donald Trump. Beto O'Rourke ran a, a great race, but the motivating factor for a lot of that was Donald Trump. I've seen it since 2016, people coming out of the woodwork and getting involved. And with him not even being at the top of the ticket, we closed the gap to 200,000 votes. And I think with him being at the top of the ticket, he takes us the rest of the way. And John Cornyn, unfortunately, has decided to tie himself at the hip to Donald Trump. And I think people are going to see that, that he's become basically a, a water boy for Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. And that's not really representing Texas values. In the short time we have left, let's talk about a couple of issues. You support uh, Medicare for all? I do, because I, I think that my greatest concern is for patients and for doctors and for hospitals. And I want to see a system whereby health care will be treated as a right and people uh, will have the access they need that doctors will be fairly compensated as well as hospitals. So what, no private insurance? Well, I'm not, I'm not concerned about private insurance. I think they had their chance with uh, the Affordable Care Act, and they just can't overcome their greed. And basically what you have for a lot of folks is catastrophic care plans uh, masquerading as something other than that. But when you have you know, a $5,000, $7,000 deductible, that's basically what you have, just catastrophic coverage, and we're going to have to move away from that. If we could structure something where they could still be involved, 
I'll listen to it. Um, but I like the Medicare for All proposal that's um, been introduced in the House, and I, I think it's workable. One last quick question. To people that like the health insurance they have now, what do you say to them? Well, I, I like to meet those people because I, I haven't met a whole lot of them. I hear that, uh, and, and good for them. I think it's going to be difficult. You know, some things are just going to have to change if we're ever going to be honest and and treat healthcare uh, as a right in this country. And I can't stand the greed that the insurance companies have shown. And for most people who say they like their policy, you could probably find ten others who say they don't. Thanks so much for being with us. We Thank, appreciate you coming. Thanks in. a lot for having me. So. Julie, the question is, where does he fit in? In Houston, Amanda Edwards, the council member, is a rising star in Houston politics. So if she runs, what happens in Harris County there? And, of course, State Senator Royce West in North Texas is expected to run as well. You got M.J. Hager out there. So where does Chris Bell fit in? How does he raise money? And M.J. Hager has a lot of support from Democrats. I mean, she did very well running in a very red district. So it'll be interesting to see. And like Romer just said, we spoke with State Senator Royce West about a possible run against Senator Cornyn. Here's what he said last month here on Lone Star Politics. What will make me decide is the um, breadth and depth of the support, being able to raise the money necessary and put together the team that I need in order to get it done. West has a, has scheduled a news conference for a week from tomorrow. So, again, that's going to be something that we're paying a lot of attention to. Yeah, he's looks like he's in, and which will be very interesting here in North Texas and, in, and throughout the state. That's the big race next to the presidential race. And we really tried to get it out of him. We really tried. <laughs> yeah, but it, all, it looks like all systems are gold for him. And so. he's going to announce it when he's ready yeah. to announce it. And we need to take a quick break. Stay with us for more Lone Star Politics. Gromer, you're going to the next debates in Detroit in, in just Detroit. a few weeks now. What do the Texans need to do? And it'll certainly be interesting to see if they're on the same debate stage. Yeah, kind of. I, I, I'm hoping that they are on the same debate stage so we can get sort of a rematch from the last debates when Julian Castro really took it to Beto O'Rourke. Uh, to answer your question, I mean, first, O'Rourke has to really be more engaged, kind of. I mean, you, you got the feeling he was just standing around waiting to be a be attacked, right? So he has to be more into it. He has to do what he did, you know, with our Senate debate, remember, he struggled somewhat against Ted Cruz. He rebounded for the next debate and did much better. He has to, you know, have that sort of performance. And then Castro has to figure out, okay, I've already got mileage out of attacking my fellow Texan. What do I do next? And for him and and also for O'Rourke, they have to have a good performance because in September, the requirements for attending these debates, for being on stage, get, they get much tougher. And so they have to worry about that. So it's, it's, it's showtime, and these are big moments for these Texans because right now they're way down at the bottom of the polls. They, have to, they need a spark. Also, speaking of the same stage, it will be very interesting to see if Senator Harris and former Vice President Joe Biden are on stage yeah, together again. They, I, again. We hope that that is the case because there's a little friction there, right? You can tell that uh, Biden doesn't appreciate the way Harris attacked him at the first debate. We'll see what happens next time. Look forward to your coverage. That's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us this morning.